Good morning. So one of the things I appreciate here at Southside is I'm not the only pastor with an odd pronunciation to his name. So ever since I've been here, you guys have pronounced my name correctly. And that's like the first time in my life I have ever had that happen. So between Gallipo, Teshon, and Radosevich, I'm not the only odd one here. So John, uh, John asked me, invited me to, to share with you my story, because some of you don't know me very well. Share the story of what God's doing at Belgium Community Church there in Belgium. And share from God's word how God is building his people and his church. My story starts with uh, when my parents met. They were juniors in high school at a lake on the beach in Oklahoma. And my mom was sunning on the beach there. And my dad had long blonde hair and goes up and says, can I borrow your raft? And my mom like leans over to her friend and says, if you take me with it. And so that's kind of the story of where, you know, I come from is that beach in Oklahoma. And my mom had the foresight to say, take me with that raft. But my parents got married after the freshman year of college and they went out to dinner one night and my mom shared the gospel with my dad. And my dad repented of sin and trusted in Christ, started a personal relationship with Jesus right then. And when I look back on my story, that's really where everything starts. That's really the point where God, in his grace, gave me to parents that, were, that had a relationship with him and were growing in Christ. So that's the only life I've ever known, is parents who love and walk with Jesus. When I was four years old, my parents made me go to church with them every week. But by sitting under, the, under good preaching... And through my parents' witness, I came to realize that I'd made myself an enemy of God by my sin. There was nothing that I could do to undo being God's enemy except turning and trusting Christ. So with, with a four-year-old's faith, I said, you know what, God, I can never please you on my own, but I will cast all myself on you and trust in Christ. And so at four years old, I, be, I became a believer, met with a pastor, was baptized. And so then... When I was in high school, I heard the worst sermon of my life and uh, felt a deep call to ministry at the same time. And my mom said, well, at least we know the pastor didn't convince you to do that. So I went to college, studied biblical studies. After college, I said, if I'm going to be a pastor, I should go to seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And so I went to seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, which kind of reveals a lot about my heart at the time. After a year and a half, I dropped out because I thought I knew everything. I said, well, I've had the biblical studies. I've learned to preach. I'm done. So we moved, I moved to Austin, Texas. I married Emma, um, started serving in college ministry, ended up in Illinois to live as missionaries and plant a church. And nobody came to Christ, no church was planted, and I was angry at God. We just did a sermon series from the book of Jonah, and that was my Jonah season, where I was like, God, if this is what it's going to be like, fine, I'm going to run the opposite direction. So I was working at a gym as a trainer, and the gym I was at was selling its membership. So I took my clients and started my own studio. And I was like, fine, if I, I'm not going to be a pastor, this is what I can do. And I'll be happy with that for the rest of my life. And six months later, all my clients left at the same time. And at that point, God had my attention. At that point, I was like broken. And at this deep and low point where I was, the worst thing I could imagine happening, it happened twice. Failure two times by the time I was 27, 28 years old. And I remember taking the chalkboards off the wall of the studio and being like, so this is the bottom. This is the worst thing I can imagine happening. And you love me. And you're right here. And in a lot of ways, I'm still that guy learning to go, you know what? God's love for me does not depend 
on me being a success. God doesn't care about what I've done for him. So we went through a season where my pastor was discipling me. Then he started passing off other guys for me to disciple. And I, I, I told Emma and I told my pastor, I feel the desire to pastor is coming back strong. That call to pastor is coming back. And Emma said, I think you need to go back and finish that seminary degree. You quit. So this time I ended up in Louisville, Kentucky, where I should have been so many years before. And we moved there three years ago. And with about a year to go to finish seminary, she was getting anxious because she said, I don't want to get stuck here for the rest of our lives. Let's not stay in Kentucky. What are we going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to send my resume to some friends when we get about six months from graduation. So over the Christmas a year ago, my mother-in-law said, what are you going to do? And I said, well, if, if I had my choice, I would go to either Iowa or Wisconsin. I'd never been to Wisconsin at that point. I just said, I would like to be in a place where we can make a big difference in the kingdom. And so, uh, then about that same time, the district leadership asked the legacy members from New Season Community Church in Belgium to begin praying for a pastor. They said, look, we are struggling to find a pastor, so we need you guys to gather to pray. So they started praying. My resume made it through a friend to their desk. We began journeying together to see, God, would you have us go here to Belgium? And and is this what you're going to do with us and through us? So so about six months ago, we discerned from God, this is what he would have us do. This is a community he would have us move to, to love, to invest our lives in. These are, this is a place where we can go and sow the word. And so I wanted to share a little bit about Belgium Community Church, which is the relaunch name, which will begin meeting in February. And a lot of people are like, what's it like to be a pastor, especially unbelievers in Belgium? They wonder, what, is, what are you actually doing when you don't have a building yeah, when you don't have any services, what is the pastor doing? So my neighbor, who identifies as historically Catholic but not practicing, spiritual but not religious, he said, so you must really be a salesman to try and restart a church. And I, was, I said, you know, Fred, I, I do have a sales background. I do know that you should go and you should ask questions. But I said, I'm not trying to figure out how do I sell somebody on religion How about I sell somebody to go to a church? I said, let me tell you a story. I said, so I met a young guy here in town. I was able to point out where he lives. I said, I met this guy. And we started talking about his own spiritual journey, his own interest in spiritual things, especially raising his kids in a church. But there's no church for him to be at. And the young man said, he said, so what kind of church is this going to be? Is this going to be the kind of church that you just kind of show up and leave? You just kind of slide in, keep your coat on, and slide out? Or is this going to be the kind of church where you show up and you know people? And I said, I hope it's both. And he kind of like looked at me, and I said, well, I said, we're going to have a lobby, and we're going to have some meeting areas where people can meet on Sundays or during the week where we can know each other. I said, but there was a point in my life when I was hurt so bad, the best thing I could do was just slide into church and leave without talking to anybody. Because I couldn't bear it. And I said, I hope we're the kind of church where people who are in that situation can show up and start to heal. And I told Fred, the young man looked at me and said, that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. 
And so Fred, I told him the story. I said, I'm not actually looking to sell anybody on anything. I'm actually just looking to see where is God at work. Because I believe he exists. I believe that he has spoken. And I want to see what is God doing in Belgium, not what can Joe do in Belgium. And Fred, my neighbor, said, I think you're going to do okay. So I've had that experience. Not that an unbeliever's assessment of how a church is going to grow means anything. But that story encapsulates a lot of what we are actually trying to do. And I am thankful to God for the legacy members and a few people who have joined us already, who we've just basically taken the posture to say, okay, God has called us, one, to see where he's at work in Belgium. This isn't something for us to do and make happen. This is actually what God is doing in Belgium, and we're just going to actually be out there in the community trying to find out where, is he, where he's at work and join him. And as we've journeyed together these last few months through the book of Mark, we keep seeing that Jesus is hammering into his disciples this idea that if you sow the seed which is the word, then God will make it grow. You don't know what seed it's going to be, but he's going to make it grow. Whether you sleep or whether you're awake, you don't even know how this is going to work, but if you sow seed, God is growing his kingdom. So that is the posture that we're taking. And I could tell you stories of what God's doing through me as people that I've met and people that I've been able to minister to, but the exciting thing for me is what God is actually doing through the people that are coming back. To hear the stories of them crossing the street to go and love construction workers across the road. To hear of a na- somebody going and talking to a neighbor and saying, you know, I've known you for a while. Are you, do you consider yourself spiritual? To hear, is God actually at work in my neighbor? Not what do I have to convince him of? I'm excited by the guy that at work, his boss, Chris told me this. Chris's boss lives near Belgium and said, Chris, how do you know if you have eternal life? That is God at work in Belgium, not Joe at work in Belgium, not Belgium Community Church at work in Belgium. That is God at work in these places. And so I, I am so thankful that when I can share, I can share story after story of what God is doing through us, not through me. And so we are about doing the work with the word, sowing the word in town, and seeing where is God at work in these people. But I want to tell you another story of a guy I met. And this guy reached out to me because he wanted... He told me, hey, I have experience leading churches. I want to help you build this church. My radar immediately went off. Because I was like, ooh, what's this going to be like? So we met, and he's like, man, I love growing churches. I love figuring out strategies and making all these things happen. And I was like, what is about to happen? And then I discovered his personal life was a wreck. Like I say, personal life is a wreck, and you think of something, think of a few steps beyond that. This guy's life is a wreck. And I was like, I was sitting there thinking, everything in me wants to push this guy away. Everything in me wants to say, you need to go somewhere else, and when you get your head on straight, come back and see me. And I said, you know what, that's actually not the kind of church that we want to be. That's not the kind of pastor I want to be. And so I said, Holy Spirit, I need you to fill me, because I do not have anything in myself to minister to this guy. And then I said, in the middle of this mess, what is God doing in you? Which is not a deep question. It doesn't really mean a whole lot. But he said, he said, I have no idea. And I said, well, let's call him Jay. I said, Jay, I don't need you to build this church. Jesus said, I will build my church, and I trust him. He doesn't need me to build his church, but he does want to do something in you, and I don't want you to ignore that. I don't need your strategies to build a church. 
but I do want to attend to what God wants to do in you. You you see, what we can easily do is what this guy does, is our life is a wreck, and so we come up with a list of rules for, well, maybe I can get things back on track if I just do this, 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 and this. My parenting is just a total mess, but if I read a couple books, follow a few principles, maybe I can get that back on track. My, maybe it's your, my marriage. My marriage feels like it's, there's nothing left, but if maybe I do this and this and this, then I can get that on track. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's, maybe it's some, some area of our life. Maybe it's just church. We say, well, if we can get the, this list of things in place, then we can get all this on track. Today I want to show you from the book of Ephesians that when God builds a church, he starts with a different place than the list of rules and strategies we come up with. I want to show you. So turn to it with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, you're likely very familiar with part of it. The part that says, we used to be lost in our transgressions and sins. We used to be so far from God, enemies of God, with nothing to do to save ourselves. And then the, the great, probably the two greatest words of the Bible, but God, who's rich in mercy. He saved us. 8 and 9 say, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. This is the part that we know real well. But the part that follows that shows us that when God builds, he builds on Christ. And it's not just a personal thing. So when we're, I want to read with you verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised... By those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill me in this time so that I speak your words, that it would be applied directly to our hearts, that you would remind us of the great hope of being built on Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this passage, we see right from the get-go, he's saying, look at all of these things that used to be true. But we, but we see that 
You were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, without hope and without God in the world. And so here's the great building block that God uses. Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. We see throughout Ephesians 1 and and 2 that Christ is God's cornerstone that he builds everything on. He builds on Christ. And so what I want to show you that the the rest of these verses show us that God uses Christ as his building block. And I want to show you three ways that he uses that building block in your life and in the life of a church. The first way is God uses Christ as his building block to give us an identity that we cannot get on our own. Verse 14 says, Remember formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. He says, Remember, this is what used to be true about you. What used to be true about you is who your parents were, their religion, their practices. The thing that used to be true about you was this. And the crazy thing about that is Paul could have said, There's a way for Gentiles to come in. Because in the law, there was a way for the Gentiles to become proselytes and come at least a little closer. They had a little bit of access to God. They could come into the temple a little bit. But Paul just drops that and says, remember, this is what used to be true about you. But now there's this whole new thing where God makes a new man, where there's no longer Israel and Gentiles. There's no longer the people far from God and the people close to God. Now God is actually making a new man. And so he is giving you an identity that's not rooted in how much of the law you can fulfill. Instead, it is rooted in what Christ has done. And so he is giving them a new identity as this new man. And the way that he does that is he says that Christ reconciles us to God. But then the great truth in that, this new identity, we see in verse 18. He says, for through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So he's walked through all of these verses saying, these are the things that used to separate us. The things that you've done, who your parents are, the religion that you had. But now in Christ, you have been brought near and can call God Father. He is identifying that this new man has an identity of the Son of God. He is saying that when God builds on the building block of Christ, you actually have an identity of being a son and a member of the family. Not based on anything that you have done, but based on what Christ has done. And we see this really powerfully in the life of the disciples. Because if you look in John chapter 20, Jesus is in the garden And Mary comes to him looking, thinking he's the gardener and looking for Jesus. And she says, somebody's taken his body. And finally she realizes, wait, Jesus calls her name. And she realizes, "This this is Jesus. And he's alive. And so they're in that garden. She says, my teacher. And Jesus says, go and tell my brothers. Jesus has never directly identified his disciples as brother. These are the same disciples who had just deserted him three days before. These are the same disciples that Peter cut off one of, their ear, one of the guy's ears, one of the enemy's ears, and then he denied Jesus three times. And Jesus has he's always referred to them as my disciples, my friends. 
And then here in this passage, before anything has happened, he says, Mary, go and tell my brothers. So there is something very special in Jesus' death and resurrection that identifies his followers as brothers. And this passage picks that up and says, with Christ, with Christ which you, you, as, with God forgives you, God reconciles you to God, and he gives you an identity of the Son. And nothing can change that. I want to speak to teenagers for a second. We live in a world where you are ranked based on everything that you do. You're ranked in school. You're ranked in sports. You're ranked online based on how much people like the things that you do. You're ranked based on the college that you get into, the plans that you have for the future. And so all of your life is filled with, how can I make sure that I measure up and that I'm good enough? And this passage says that not based on any of those things, God calls those who are in Christ a son. Apart from the things that they've done, you now have an identity as a member of God's family, and nothing changes that. No plans that fail, no disappointments that come. You now have the identity of the very Son of God. And so the world can't take that away. Your circumstances can't diminish that. You now have an identity that no matter what the world thinks of who you are and what you've done, Christ calls you brother, the Father calls you son. And nobody can take that away. And that's a word for the rest of us. As we struggle to find out, am I good enough? Can I do enough? Is my identity good enough? This passage says that on God's building a block of Christ, we have the identity of the very Son of God. The second way that God uses the building block of Christ is that God gives us a place to belong. Verse 19, he says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed... uh, I'm sorry, verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens. This is a world in which being a foreigner and alien is worse than it would be now. In this world, foreigners and aliens have no rights. Anything can be taken from them. People can do whatever they want to them. You see, when Paul was arrested and beaten, he just had to tell the ruler... Why are you beating a Roman citizen? And the the ruler got terrified because, wait, I can beat foreigners, but I can't beat a citizen. Like basically, there's no law over foreigners. But in, in this passage, he says, you used to be foreigners and aliens, but now you belong because you are fellow citizens with God's people. Fellow citizens with God's people. And even better than that, you are now members of God's household. So on the building block of Christ, God gives you a place to belong that has nothing to do with how well you've accomplished all the things for him. You see, if, you come, if somebody comes to my house, one of the kids playing on the street comes into my house, if they want to get into my closets, if they want to get into my refrigerator, if they want to go in the different places, I'm going to say, hey, wait, 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 what's going on? But if your name is Elizabeth Ann or Micah Wilberforce or Jacob Franklin or Sophie Marie or soon to be Oscar Frost, if you are a member of my household, you can do anything you want in my house. Well, within reason, but you can do anything you want in my house. You can get in the refrigerator because my food is your food. You can get in my closets because the clothes that I own are your clothes. You can curl up on the sofa because this is your house. You can sleep in my beds because this is your house. And this passage says that with Christ as God's building block, he gives us a place to belong as members of his household. And nothing changes that. 
No, no circumstance that you find yourself in is going to drive you from God's household. No, no list of rules that you follow is going to make you more of a, friend, a family member. You're either in or you're out. And this passage says that if you're in Christ, you're a member of the household. And you've got the run of the house. This place is yours. In Luke 15, we see that the the prodigal son comes to his father and has this amazing speech ready. And he says, Father, I do not deserve to be called your son. Saying, God, uh, Dad, I have not followed the rules, so I would understand why you might not call me son anymore. And the father just turns away from the son, just ignoring that whole speech, turns to his servants and says, get the very best things from my house because my son is back. Then he goes to the older son who's outside of the party and says, Dad, you've never done anything for me. And he says, he calls him my son again. This petulant brat throwing a fit. And he says, he still calls him son and says, you, everything that I have belongs to you. And it's always been that way. And so the son that's been wasteful and the son that's been a brat, God, the father says, my, everything that I have belongs to those people called sons. And this passage picks that up and says that God builds people on that kind of truth. God builds a church on the truth that you belong, not based on how much you obey, but you belong because Christ has made you a son. And what you're facing at home, what you're facing at work doesn't change that. You don't belong more because of anything in your life. You belong because Christ has made you a member of the family. The third thing we see here is that when God builds on the building block of Christ, he gives us his very presence. Verses 21 and 22 says, In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So he's picked this up twice right here and he said that in Christ on that, on that building block, on that cornerstone, God actually is building you into be the very temple where he dwells. And then he says again, he is building us to be a dwelling for him by his spirit. So God is not building you so that someday you can be that, but God is actually building you with his very presence. I woke up in fear recently, just deep fear, which is not normal. I don't usually wake up. My wife was, she was doubtful the first few years of our marriage because I would sleep through a crying child. And then when I once slept through a child crying straight into my ear, then she realized I wasn't faking. And so I woke up in deep fear recently. I don't even remember what it is now, but I couldn't sleep. I couldn't shake it. Getting up and kind of just taking a break for a few minutes didn't break that fear. And as I laid there, I was like, God, what truth do I need to hear to dispel this fear? And Joshua 1.9 came to my mind. It's, it was my dad's favorite verse growing up. Probably still is. But he have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not fear because I am with you always. And as I lay there, I was like, that's awesome. But you said that to Joshua. Is it right to say that that's true for me too? Is it true that you would be with me always, even in deep fear in the middle of the night? And I was reminded that Jesus said, I will give you the spirit who will be with you and he will be in you. And I realized I have a better promise 
that God is actually with me, not because I've obeyed, but because he has given me his spirit. And this passage says that God on the building block of Christ gives us his spirit and builds his church on that truth, on the reality that we are actually not alone. I want to speak to Belgium Community Church for a second. If you, I imagine some of you are, let's say, concerned about the future. It would be very, it can be very uh, concerning. What if this flops? What if we spend all of our time and all of our energy? What if, what if, what if it doesn't work? Some of you may be concerned about something like that. I bet some of you are terrified about that reality. What if we do all of these things This passage says God is not waiting for the church to get to a certain level before his presence comes. God is actually building his church from his presence. He starts there, doesn't just finish there. And so maybe some of you, as you like walk through life, are like, I feel totally alone. The things that I've done, the things that I've looked at, the anger and the anxiety and this whole list of things makes me feel far from God. This passage says that for those who are in Christ, God is starting with his very presence to build your life until one day it becomes true and fully realized that we are the temple where he dwells. So how how does that happen in this passage? This passage says that God uses Christ to give us an identity. God uses Christ to give us a place to belong. God uses Christ to give us his very presence. We see that this is true because as Jesus hung on the cross, they mocked his very identity. He died under a lie where they said, if you are the son of God, come down from there. And so he died under a lie so that his very identity could be given to us. We have a place to belong because the Son of God who made everything and owns everything lived and died with no place to call his own, with no clothes of his own, and was buried in a borrowed tomb. So that we actually are members of the household of the one who owns everything. And so it doesn't depend on what we do. And we know that we have his very presence because as Jesus hung on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we don't ever have to say those words. We don't ever have to say, God, why have you left me alone? Because Christ said those words in our place and now we have his very presence forever. I want to speak to some guests that we have today or some of you that are like, I hear this and I want this. I want to speak to some of you that say, Pastor Joe, you've been saying those who are in Christ, what does that mean? The story of the Bible leads up to that phrase in Christ. It starts with God who made the universe and called it good. We see that reflected When we're out in the woods hunting deer, when we're out on Lake Michigan and we see the beauty that God has created, we realize, yes, God made the world and it is good. But the Bible says that pain and injustice and fear and shame and guilt comes because we've made ourselves enemies of God, turning away to live our own way. And instead of leaving us in that place, God 
comes and lives the life we should have lived with God as king and died the death we should have died so that when he was raised from the dead, those who repent of sin and cast themselves on Jesus, those who give up on being enemies and instead embrace the Son, they have been made right with God and all of these things are now true for us. These things become our identity. We now have a place to belong because we've cast ourselves on Jesus. We have nothing in our hands to hold on to except Jesus. That's what this passage means when it says, in him, in Christ. And so if you hear that and want to talk with me or John or Michael or the elders, stop me on, our, on your way out. I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. I want to rejoice with you if that's something that you want to do today, casting yourself on Christ. And now I get the privilege of inviting you guys into something. Pastor John very courageously has invited me to invite you guys to be a part of what we're doing in Belgium. You see, last week we celebrated 50 years ago the district and some people from Kiel helping to start Southside Alliance Church in Sheboygan. 50 years ago we celebrated God's faithfulness over all of those years leading up until now. We celebrated last week how Southside helped to start Plymouth Alliance Church in Plymouth and how you've been a continual part of God being on mission in Wisconsin. John has invited me to invite you to pray about how you might bless us and help Belgium Community Church start well in Belgium. Carrying on that blessing to another town, carrying on that legacy so that Wisconsin becomes a light to the world, so that Belgium has a thriving church that is a witness to them and a witness to the world. So what I'm going to ask you to do is there are some um, cards in the back. You might have grabbed one on your way in. But I'm going to invite you to begin praying and say, God, how would you have me be involved in helping Belgium Community Church? For some of you, you might decide for three months or six months or 12 months to come and help us in a specific ministry area. You might decide, God, you've given me the gift and the desire and the call to help Belgium Community Church start well, welcome families, care for children. Maybe God is going to call you to help us with uh, our tech needs. And so I'm inviting you to pray about, pray with us for how would God have you help us start. Some of you might just say, we're going to take six, three months, six months, a year and be a welcoming family in that community. So that when young families come to this church, they see a church of smiling faces, a church of young families, middle-aged, older adults. So pray with us about how you can be involved, how God would have you come and help us in Belgium Community Church. So now, to close, I want to quote my, probably my favorite prayer from Scripture. In Numbers... God taught through Moses taught the Levites how to bless and pray for the people and in it he says the Lord's face bless the Lord bless you and keep you may he make his face shine on you and give you his peace I pray these things over us in Jesus name amen